kids and youth are now dismissed. Um, before I get to the sermon, um, in the sermon I'm going to talk about joy this morning um, and this idea of choosing joy. And in the sermon I'll share um, maybe a couple of reasons why it was hard for me to practice joy this week. Um, but for one of the reasons actually is just this little 30 second, one minute blip I'm about to do. Um, today is Pastor Woody's last service as senior pastor, well, as <laughs> pastor um, of this church. 41 years and started in July 1980. Um, so one of the things about joy is you hold on to something even if it's not what you feel. 41 years is a long time, and we had to bargain for even this. Three years ago when he stepped down as senior pastor, we had tributes, a banquet, a bunch of different things. This one, he didn't even want us to mention anything. Um, he wanted to pray and bless us, which is what he did. But I thought it would be appropriate for us as a congregation to at least stand and give him a hand. Uh, him and Kim, for the years of ministry, of love, of service. <laughs> Pastor Woody and, and Kim. On behalf of this church, um, I would like to say we love you, we thank you, and we're grateful for you. I can't even, I don't know how I'm going to preach. Um, <laughs> we, um, we did do something a little bit small. Um, we, uh, um, we fought for this too, believe it or not. Um, but there's a lot of uh, beautiful people who made brownies. Because, you know, nothing makes you think of Pastor Woody more than sweets, you know, for how sweet he was, you know. But we ask, um, <laughs> you sound like you don't believe me. Um, we ask that as you leave today, um, as you go through the lobby, even if you're picking up your kids, make sure you go through the lobby to, to get a piece of brownie. Um, but also, I want to ask you as a congregation to pray for Pastor Woody and pray for Kim. They have a big trip to Columbia coming up, and if you know anything about Pastor Woody, he loves to travel. <laughs> um, I pray for everyone else, not really him, but everyone else to deal with him. Um, but no, I pray for them as they go into this next step of retirement. We, we love you, and we'll miss you, and we thank you. So let's talk about joy, huh? Um, so we're in Advent, and so this Advent season, I've been trying to kind of pose all these themes that we go through by simply asking not just what is Advent, but, but what is this, what, who is this Jesus and what does Jesus bring? Again, uh, for those unfamiliar, Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. It's a season where the, the universal church, right? Um, I hesitate to say Catholic because when we think Catholic, we think of a Catholic group, but the original meaning of Catholic is all of us, right? Universal, which means we're your Anabaptist, Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, Brethren in Christ, but all of us, right? It's the entire church stops and waits. And I think in a world that's full of hurry, this is actually a beautiful example. In a world that's full of what's next and in lives that lives of busy, 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 it's a chance of wait. And we wait in expectation and celebration that the God of this universe, Jesus Christ, comes and is birthed into our world. The blessing, the miracle of Emmanuel, that God who was up there is now God with us. That the king of heaven walked the, the streets of earth. 
That the one who was, who was clothed and bathed in radiance has taken on flesh and blood and skin and moved into our neighborhood, into our world. Now, the early church, the first believers, when they talked about Advent, they didn't just think about baby Jesus and the Messiah and the Savior. They, they, the word Adventus and Perusia actually spoke directly to the second coming because they not only gloried in the fact that Jesus came, they looked forward to the day where Jesus will come again. And so for them, Advent was waiting in expectation and celebration when Jesus comes and takes us to glory. And then the, the middle Christians, if you will, uh, starting maybe in the, the third and fourth century and kind of codified by Bernard of Clairvaux in the 12th century says, not only do we celebrate in Advent Christ coming in a baby, not only do we celebrate Christ coming in glory, but we celebrate that right now in between Christ comes into our hearts. And that's what we want to hold on to here in Advent, that Jesus has come, that Jesus is coming, but that Jesus still comes today. And to flesh out Advent here, we, 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 you see it on the screen, we do hope, peace, joy, and love. So as we approach these themes, the question has been, how or what does Jesus bring, and how does Jesus bring it through me? For hope, we said it's an invitation given to us by God. It's a gift that's not just meant to be held on individually, but communally as we seek to transmit Christ into our world. For peace, we said it's Christ at home in us. But then the challenge is that Christ desires to be at home through us and into our world. This morning, we'll talk about joy. And the question is going to be, what is the joy that Jesus brings? And what is the joy that Jesus brings through us. Let's pray together. Our God, a great joy. We pray this morning that you would be our joy, and that you would be our joy to our world. We thank you that in you we have peace, we have hope. We thank you that in you we know grace and we know mercy. We thank you that in you we have a future, a destiny. We thank you that in you we have joy. So Lord Jesus, our Christ, be our joy this morning. Be our joy with every breath. Be our joy with everything that we say or think. Be our joy with everything that we do. And Holy Spirit, who lives inside those of us who believe, let us be Christ's joy to our world. Let us be the ones who are bridge makers and peacemakers. Let us be the ones who point them to what is not seen. Let us be the one who hold the world that seems to be falling apart. Let us be the ones who are held together by you as we reach out and welcome back home sons and daughters, for the joy that was set before you, Lord Jesus. You've sent the Spirit, and you've sent us. Let us be your joy to your world. In your holy and precious name, amen. Here at Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 1 to 3, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. So it'll also be up front. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart." When I was growing up in church, one of the things that I was always confused about is that there seemed to be this competition that I never understood, and the competition was joy and happiness. Anytime someone preached about joy, they would always have to contrast it with happiness, right? Joy was seen as something lasting, something that was like a spiritual value that you held on to, and happiness was fleeting. So for example, joy would be knowing that God loves you. 
right? You can't really put your arms around it, but you can hold on to that knowing that God loves you, whereas happiness will be maybe a time in your life where God interceded for you or a specific time where you're just like, wow, he does love me. Years ago, I was driving to seminary, and it was that late at night. I remember I was driving, and what I do in my car is I turn the music up. You know, I just sing to myself. It's the best time to sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Don't got to be out of key. And when nobody else is in the car, it's even better, right? So I'm driving, and I remember this overwhelming sense of, you're going to be okay. And I was like, well, I mean, I did hit that high note, you know? Like, what are you talking about? I remember this overwhelming sense of, like, it's going to be all right. And I was like, well, I think this is the spirit, so I'm going to say yes, you know? Thank you for reminding me I'm going to be all right. And as soon as I said that, maybe I was paying too much attention to the spirit, but I, I slipped on some back ice and my car did a couple 360s in the middle of the road. And literally the, the back, so you sit obviously in the front left. You were in America, I guess, obviously, because people might not be in America. We sit in the front left, right? And the polar opposite of my car, which would be the back right of my car, spun out so much that it, it hit into a telephone pole and it crushed in. I remember sitting and looking over my shoulder and saying, huh, I will be okay. Thank you, Jesus. So we look at joy as something that we hold on to, but, but maybe the happiness is that feeling that, that, that fle- go, uh, just flutters away. But also when we talk about joy and happiness, we say that joy is something that maybe is self-sacrificial, something you do for others, right? So when you literally pour into someone and you see them grow into the faith and you see them do something for God, you step back and say, wow, that's amazing, that's joy. But, 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 but happiness was seen as something that's maybe more selfish, you know? So, for example, for those of you who believe in working out, right? Like, you work out for your health and all that, right? Me, I hate it. Like, I, I, like these people who are like, I ran a marathon, I feel great. I'm like, you're a liar, you know? Like, no one runs 26.2 miles. First of all, why do you run 26.2 miles, right? But the point is, like, when you do something physical, some exercise, it's really for you, right? You might feel better about it, right? But it's really for you. So that, that's a happiness feeling of accomplishment, whereas the joy is pouring into someone and seeing them grow. Joy is seen as inner peace or contentment, whereas happiness is, is, is outward elation. So, for example, back in my younger days, I used to go hiking, which is great for a kid in the city, right? I love when people come into the city and they put their, their, their car doors down and they're scared. And I used to make fun of those people until I went to the, to the woods and I heard animals. And I'm just like, well, this is interesting. Why are we out here? You know, like, like we have this whole thing called civilization. Why are we sleeping here? But when I used to go hiking, right, the joy was in accomplishing making it up the hill. The happiness was standing at the mountaintop, right? So you see these two things and they play together. But the more I dug into this, I realized though that joy has to be more than just what we experience. Years ago on my first trip to Bogota, um, Pastor Woody's son Zach is a missionary, organized our whole mission trip. And we got to visit a bunch of different missions and a bunch of different um, nonprofits. And one of the ones that stuck to me was a, was a, 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 a small little nonprofit that took in um, teenage girls who were pregnant. And what's really, really fascinating because you walk in and, and you can't help but feel that in a country that, that stands on how Catholic it is, right, how much these girls feel discarded. And I remember being there that day, the second overwhelming feeling was, oh my goodness, is this how Mary felt? In a society and culture that had all these expectations, in a society and culture that had all these feelings to unwed, pregnant, teenage girls. And I remember sitting with these girls and listening to their stories, and I remember the joy that filled me knowing that they have a kinship with the mother of Jesus, but also knowing that they have a safe place where they can be loved. 
And remember that feeling to me wasn't just happiness, wasn't just playing with them and playing with the kids or whatever, but it was this feeling of knowing you are loved. So joy and happiness for a lot of us, it, it not only it's this thing that, that seems to be pounded together, but sometimes they feel like they're one in the same. For example, is it joy or happiness when you eat a good meal? When you laugh so hard, you squeal, or when you see kids squealing. I have a, a five-year-old, and there's nothing that makes that girl better than giving her a compliment. Her whole body warms up. It makes you warm up. Is that joy or is that happiness? Or, or is it joy or happiness when, when you dance like no one's looking? Or some of you should be dancing like no one's looking. Or some of you shouldn't be dancing at all, but that's another conversation. Is it joy or is it happiness when you cry happy tears? When you say after 41 years, job well done. Is it joy or is it happiness? I heard this week about a denomination who gathered all their churches and they said, you know what? The one thing that's kind of holding everybody back in this country is medical bills. And I was like, this is fascinating. What are they going to do? And over two years, all these churches gathered together and they raised $60 million to pay for the medical debt of all the people who were in that denomination and then extended outward. Is that joy or is that happiness? Because it's joy to know the kingdom's going forth like that. But I guarantee you, when you got a million dollars worth of medical bills paid off, that's happiness too. My daughter Harper is, um, oh, she's, both my kids are brilliant. Harper this week decided, well, you got to say that, man. It's filmed now. They're watching. <laughs> but seriously, they both are brilliant. Harper this week created this little book, right? Um, one of her friends in class, she, she, the girls, I don't know where she comes, she gets from her mom. She created this book, created a story about one of her friends in class, illustrated it, wrote the story out, everything, including music and everything. And the teacher was so impressed. The teacher's like, can we put this in the library? And then you think that'd be enough. Like me, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. So my daughter goes, yeah, but let's turn it into a series, right? I'm just like, who are you? Where do you come from? Is that joy or is that happiness? Is it joy or is it happiness when a mother holds a baby for the first time? Is it joy or is it happiness when you sit underneath the stars, not only humbled by how small you are, but how great our God is and that God loves you too? Is it joy or is it happiness when you have relationships where you can sit for hours and talk without speaking? Is it joy or is it happiness when it's more than what you feel, when it's more than what you know, when it's more than what you experience? I think it's okay to blur the lines between joy and happiness when it comes to what we know, what we feel, what we experience. But I also think it would behoove us to know what biblical joy is. Because that's the joy that Jesus was thinking about. That's the joy that drove him to Calvary's tree. That's the joy that makes him prepare heaven for you and me. That's the joy that we need to hold on to as well. That's the joy we need to choose. And what does that biblical joy look like? It looks like a promise. That yes, sorrow and darkness may come for the night. But what? Joy comes in the morning. It's a praise. Like we sang in multiple songs this morning. What? Like Nehemiah saying that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. That no matter what we go through, that God is on our side. No matter what we're facing, that God is working in and through us. That no matter what darkness we see, what addiction we flee, what restrictions hold us back, the joy of the Lord is our strength.
But it's also a practice. And the practice is modeled by Jesus. Paul in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2 says it like this. If you want true joy, right? And I always laugh at this because I used to make fun of one of the matriarchs of my family because every time she saw you, she'd be like, do you know what history is? And I'm like, here we go again. The history lesson, you know? It's his story. And me as a smart aleck would be like, yes. When God created the English language, he saved this word history just so you can tell me this story for the hundredth time, right? Then I got to seminary, right? And one of my professors, PhD, brilliant, was just like, do you know what history is? And I was just like, I don't know how I feel about this, you know? And he's like, it's his story, the meta-narrative, the big story. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he was right. But I think Paul, when he wrote Philippians, obviously didn't write in English. But I think it's pretty convenient for us that when he talks about joy, he spells it like this. J for Jesus first, O for then others, and Y for you. That's how we practice joy, by putting Jesus first, by living for others, and then worrying about ourselves. Paul seems to think that if you put Jesus first, if you live for others, there's not going to be enough time to worry about yourself, but in all the doing, you will have joy. Which brings us to our passage this morning, where joy shows up not just as a promise, but a promise realized in Jesus Christ. Not just as a praise, but a praise to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just as a practice, but as in Jesus, the archetype, the prototype, if you will, who for the joy that's set before him. And this is the kind of joy we need to also hold on to. Not the one that blurs with happiness, but the one that says, how do we wait in expectation and celebration? How do we wait for Christ to come in us and through us into our world? In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer begins by saying, take joy in this great cloud of witnesses. In the context of Hebrews 12, you have chapter 11, right, which is the great faith chapter. All these different men and women who have done so many amazing things in the faith, who God's fleshed out everything in. I remember as a kid, it was like, this is the Hall of Fame chapter. And I raised my hand. I was just like, these Hall of Famers aren't that cool because according to chapter 11, we who believe in now are cooler than them. And the teacher looked at it. And I was just like, I don't know if that's my interpretation. I was like, but I'm right. And I was. God seems to think as great as that Hall of Fame chapter was, that you who believe now get it even more. And that's something that's humbling, to think that you understand more about God than perhaps Abraham ever will, that you understand more about faith than Sarah ever will, that you understand more about God because you know Jesus. They got a glass mirror that was maybe a little smudged, right? They got a little peek of what God might be. You get Jesus. You get the whole thing. And so he says, take joy in this great cloud of witnesses. And a lot of people have waxed poetic on this. And because they look at the context of Hebrew 11, they see the great cloud of witnesses as all the saints who've gone before. What a blessing in Pastor Woody's prayers. He talks about all these people who've gone before. But I want to push that a little bit this morning. Because I think the cloud of witnesses aren't just the people who've gone on before. Because we haven't finished our race yet. We're still here. Don't fall. We haven't finished our race yet. And so if you think about the people who've gone before, they're waiting for you at the finish line. They're waiting for you to welcome you into heaven. They're cheering you on. They're praying for you. They're waiting for you. But in this life, on this side of heaven, you're still running the race. So to me, it's important to think of the cloud of witness, not just of the people who've gone on before, but the sisters and brothers who still remain. The ones who walk this road with you and keep walking this road with you. The one who's there to pick you up when you fall down. 
the one who is there to inspire you and spur you on to do good things and to live for Jesus. So it's not just your cloud of witnesses who've gone on, but the cloud of witnesses who live on and who do this life with you. Because if it's a marathon, we can't just celebrate when we're done. I don't think God likes marathons either. He wants you to celebrate while you're here. So when we think about our cloud of witnesses, when we think about how to practice joy, I want you to think about who are your cloud of witnesses today? Because I want you to honor those who've gone on before, who've inspired you, but don't also forget those who are here now who are inspiring you today. Take joy in the great cloud of witnesses, the ones who've gone on, but also the teammates here today. And then the author says, I want you to make joy by leaving sin behind. The sin that so easily entangles us. And what's interesting here is that sin isn't just, you know, I'm running my race and someone puts a barrier in front of me. That's part of it. But the author seems to be going on this thing as like, I want you to look at this marathon, this race that you're running with perseverance as training. And so some people, when they train, right, they might put on resistance bands or, or stuff that's heavier. I grew up playing baseball, and, and you would always have a donut at the end of the bat, and you would swing, and it was heavier. So when we got in the batter's box, it was lighter, and you hit the ball further, right? Like, a lot of people did this stuff where it's like you would actually put stuff on that would hinder you. And I think that's an interesting line, because I think the author's trying to say that, like, sin does both things to you, and you need to leave both of them alone. Meaning that, yes, there's going to be hurdles along the way. There's going to be mistakes that we make. There's going to be us messing up. There's going to be us not walking that straight path. And we need to leave that alone. But I also think the author is saying there's going to be stuff that you do on yourself that you need to leave alone too. There's going to be stuff that you do of your own doing that you need to walk away from. There's going to be stuff that you think, and I think this is, this is fascinating because a lot of us as Christians, we Christianize it, right? We Christianize or, or weaponize like our struggle, right? We're just like, well, God can't get me more than I can handle. Really? Because I don't serve a God who wants to test you by giving you too much. We don't serve a God who's just going to pour on you like he's some kind of like abusive father, just like, I'm going to give again because I can't give you more than you can handle. We have to take a step back and realize that sometimes the things that so easily ensnare us are also of our own doing too. And that's the harder part of running this race, of doing that true self-assessment and saying, what am I doing that's hindering my run and walk with God? What am I doing or how am I living that's not shining my light? What is the good that I'm leaving undone? Who are the people that I've left behind? How am I not being faithful in my witness? Yes, there's going to be hurdles along the way, but how am I putting hurdles along my own way? It has to be both. And then the author brings us to Jesus. It says, yes, take joy by the great cloud of witnesses who've come and who are with you now. Make joy by leaving sin behind, looking inside and, and, and leaving sin behind and doing this training by not only clearing the path, but not putting dirt on your own path. But now see joy by fixing your eyes on Jesus. You know, you probably haven't done this since you were a kid. And I hope you haven't done this since you were a kid. But there's a few of us in this room who've tried running with our eyes closed. It's not really effective, right? Like, you crash into things. It's painful. It hurts. You have no direction. 
when we don't live our lives with our eyes focused on Jesus, we're running with our eyes closed. And that's why we're crashing. That's why we're stop stopping, start stopping. That's why we're making no progress. This idea of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus isn't just holy speak or Christianese. It's a simple fact that it's just like it's practically, if I try to run to the back of this room with my eyes closed, it's going to be a painful endeavor. But if my eyes are open, it's going to be made a little bit easier. That's why it's important that we see joy by looking at Jesus. We see joy by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because it's not enough, right, for, for, for us to say, like, my eyes are on Jesus now. I'm going to close them as I run to the back of the room. I have to keep my eyes open the entire time. Years ago, I used to be a biker. Not a motorcycle, because that's wild. Like a bicycle. That's a universal sign of bicycle. I don't know what got into me one day. I was inspired, deeply inspired. I was at Strawberry Square. Happened to be lunchtime when everybody and their mother were outside. And I was so inspired, I was just like, not only am I going to bike with my eyes closed, it gets better. But I'm going to stand up, and I want to see how long I can do this. You know, like, genius idea. Needless to say, I was up for about three seconds, and you know, you know what happened. I fall over the front of my bike. The best part about it was there were so much people outside. I think they were so stupefied by my stupidity, no one knew what to do. They all froze. So I got up, put my backpack back on, and I just biked off. I think I did that for this point in the sermon today. We can't go through this life with our eyes closed and wonder why we keep crashing. We can't go through this life with our eyes focused on ourselves and wonder why we have no direction. We can't go through this life forcing ourselves to do it all on our own and wonder why we can't get to the end or why we can't run our race more effectively. We can see joy by looking and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and finisher of our faith. I like the old translation that says what? He is the, 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 uh, the well, this translation says pioneer and perfecter, but I like author and finisher better. Because Pioneer, like, I, I watch Pioneer Woman. I don't know if you guys watch that show. Like, that's what I think of when I think of Pioneer. Like, we're way past the pioneering, right? But the idea of a pioneer is the first one, the one who's going to go to the margins, the one who's going to expand the borders, the one who's going to do new things. But I simply like the idea of author because I love the idea that everything we live, Jesus has already written in the book of life. I love the idea that everything that surprises us doesn't surprise our God. I love the idea that everything we go through, God is already prepared and willing to help. I love the idea that God writes our story, but he writes it with us. So how and what do we do with this joy? This joy has to be Jesus. For joy, for us to have this biblical joy, Jesus has to be the archetype, the model, the prototype, the one to be followed. I love Scott McKnight. He's brilliant in many things. And one of his favorite quotes that I read a bunch of people quoting this year is like basically him saying, you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you follow Jesus. People are like, this is amazing. And I was like, Scott has said a lot of brilliant things, but that one seems pretty like common to me. But it's true. It's true. You can't be a follower of Jesus if you're not following Jesus. You can like Jesus. You can even love Jesus. 
You can think Jesus is great. But if you're not submitting your life to Jesus, if you're not living fully for Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. If he is the model, if he is the prototype, we have to be following him. And I love that Jesus for the joy. Again, it wasn't a feeling, but it was the future that he was looking on. It was a destiny he was looking for. And because of that being together forever, he endured the cross. He took on the scorn and the shame. And now he sits at God's right hand. What joy must be in his heart. For now, he has the model for us. What joy can be in our hearts. And I love that the passage ends by saying, yes, you're running a race. Yes, it's not a sprint. Yes, I know you're tired. And I love that because there's many of us in this room who are tired, who are at our wit's end, who are fighting just to breathe, who are fighting just to be faithful. There's so many of us who are fighting not to grow weary and to lose heart. When the writer writes this to Hebrews, it was to a church that was being persecuted and killed. It was to a church that to say the name of Jesus could mean sudden death. It was to a people who weren't even sure what their future lied. Yet this writer says, I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus so you don't grow weary, so you don't lose heart. And that reminded me of this quote from Henry Nouwen, which I shared last year. And it's a quote I hold on to. It's been a whole year and I'm still holding on to it. Because Nouwen says it like this. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It's important to become aware that every moment of our life, we have an opportunity to choose joy. I think God has a sense of humor because I had to practice that every day this week. You know, we were talking about like saying, you know, Pastor Woody's last Sunday, and there's part of me who's grieving that, right? He hasn't just been my pastor, he's been my mentor, my friend, my prayer warrior. So it's part of me who's grieving that. But honestly, that's been the littlest things I've battled this week. Yesterday, we said goodbye to Jermaine Hernandez, 36 years old, mother of two. Previous in the day, I watched um, from, from my house and later on the church that my family said goodbye to my uncle who was murdered and killed in his own house. This week, while I was writing this sermon, I got a text message and then a bunch of text messages from high school friends of a friend, a dear friend of ours, who woke up one morning, went to work, and died. We don't know what happened yet. He's not even 40 years old. He was a track coach. He's in better shape than all of us. Motivated some of us to get on the treadmill. And yet, I felt God saying, this is what it means to choose joy. It's not that I don't know you're weary and tired. It's not that I don't know it's hard, but I still need you to choose joy. And what's interesting is my friend Tony, who died this week, said something, and it's his last um, uh, uh, social media post, actually. And he would always say these things so you didn't take it for granted. But the fact that he posted this less than 24 hours from dying made it resonate with all of us. And this is what he said in his post. I'm at that moment when I see life not through the older version of lenses, but through a different perspective. 
I rise this morning with my spirit filled with joy, a joy of appreciation, of gratitude, of thankfulness, that no matter what steps have been made, I am here today. I'm rejoicing because what is in front of me, nothing that is in the past can measure up to. I'm walking in this light 100%. Rise and shine and choose joy. I think it's fascinating that he thought he was writing about his life here on earth. I think it's fascinating that he thought he was writing about, hey, I'm getting ready to be 40 and there's a new, new, new tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. But I love that the joy he spoke of is a joy he can have even imagined. And I love that as much as we grieve, he was right. Nothing could prepare him for heaven's light. And I love that the joy that he spoke of in this simple little quote is now realized as he's in our Father's arms. We must choose joy. And the joy we must choose, one that says Jesus is the promise that this darkness will pass and joy will come in the morning. The one that says that Jesus is the one I praise, for his joy is my strength. The one that says I will live emptying myself out, putting Jesus first, living for others, and then worrying about myself. But also the one that says if God is the most joyous being in the universe, if God is the one who gives me joy, I want to have a joy that transforms not only me, but the world around me. But it has to be a joy that we choose every single day. A joy that comes not just knowing that God loves us, but living that God loves us. Not just looking because we've looked in the past, but keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The joy that comes knowing we're on a marathon, but praise God for the witnesses who've come before, for the teammates we have now, and yes, even for the teammates to come. Choose joy by choosing Christ. Amen? I'd like to invite up our worship team. We're going to close. Pastor Hannah said I shouldn't depress you guys, by, but we're going to go a little peppy. So um, that's what we're trying, right? I lift it up. It's joyful. But as we sing this song, I'd like to invite any of the pastors in the room will be up here for prayer, for anything that you've got going on. But as we sing the song, I think it's Angels We Have Heard on High. It is a song that makes me joy, actually. But as we sing this song, may you be reminded that the joy that Christ brings, the joy that Christ desires to go through you, is a joy that can heal you, transform you, but also heal and transform our world. Let's stand and sing together.
blessings of our God is that he is the God of joy. I love that this God that we serve, that we worship, that we adore is a God who's the most joyous one in the universe. I love that line. I was thinking about it this week. I think one of the great tragedies that we do is that we think we're more loving than God's loving, or we think we're more joyful than God's joyful. I have a neighbor who I think is probably more Christmassy than God, but that's another subject, right? As we go forth this week, may we remember that everything that God is, is what God desires us to be. And that everything that God gifts is what God desires us to gift. So how are you finding and holding on to joy? And how is God calling you to share that joy with your world? Our Father God, we thank you so much that the most joyous being of the universe desires us to be in relationship with us, to welcome us back home, to live inside of us, to send us into this world. Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you for coming as our Savior, for leaving heaven to come to earth, for walking these streets to show us how to live and love to please God, for the joy that was set before you, going to Calvary, despising the shame, despite the shame, despite the scorn, that you were broken, that you were naked, that you were humiliated, that you were treated as a criminal, all so that we can be saved. But Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that raised you from the dead. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of us. And we thank you that with joy you sit at the Father's right hand as you prepare heaven for us. Now, Holy Spirit, help us to know joy. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Transform us with the joy of the Lord. Let it be our praise. Let it be our strength. Let it be our reminder that joy does come in the morning. But most of all, let it be our call and our work to the world. God of joy, transform us and heal us with your joy so that we can be transformed into healers and people who transform our world around us. We give thanks for the witnesses, the cloud of witnesses who've come. We give thanks for the teammates now, and we work even more for the teammates to come into your kingdom. Lord, help us to hold on to joy. For you, the God, our joy, gift us joy so we can gift it to our world. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.